Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pages of HR. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, Lead Editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides insightful conversations about HR-related books with the writers who create them. And by the end of these conversations, we hope that you'll have actionable insights for your business, best practices to tap, and of course, new information to ponder. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by consultant, leader, and executive coach, Dr. Elizabeth Moran. We're discussing her upcoming book, Forward, Leading Your Team Through Change, which will be available February 1st, 2023, so of course, in just a few months. Forward is a condensed playbook grounded in neuroscience and written with humor, addressing the most common change leadership challenges. This timely topic is more important than ever, as every week thousands of leaders around the world and in organizations large and small are asked and even told to lead through a change they did not initiate and one that their team will likely resist. You're in for a treat as this book can provide the necessary tools to help you move through common barriers to change with beginning to end action steps, team and individual conversation guides, as well as a clear approach to measuring success. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bianca. I'm very excited to be joining you. Thank you so much for your time. Please tell me, what inspired you to write this timely book? So after a number of years in HR myself, I've been inside organizations for a long time. And a couple of years, I left the last organization, but I really, the experience that stayed with me is just the rate and pace of change increasing. And also, I had learned from a number of wonderful resources when I was helping inside different leaders and teams go through change. What I quickly discovered, though, was there was this gap. You'd either have books, many of which were fantastic on leading large-scale organizational change. And then you'd have these, these mini articles with tips and bullet points, like, make sure you communicate during change. So it's like, uh, yeah, duh, but, but how do you actually have something that is specifically geared towards the people leader who has to lead their team through change? And you articulated it really well, which is that they didn't decide on. And what I found was the desire to provide something because I was often on the other end of business books that were great, but I wanted something where people could easily take concepts and implement them right away. Oh, I love that. I love that. And be, or at least for clarity here for myself, is this the first book of its kind with that or? Well, I mean, I like to say <laughs> yes. Um, but I, you know, certainly maybe there are other books out there. There are a number of books on, on organizational change and leading change. I had least had not found something that was text light. So give me a concept. I don't need a lot, but give me some bullet points and then give me tools that I can then implement. Please don't make me, you know, scroll through and look and try to pull out the bits, just make it easy for me. So that's what I tried to do. Absolutely. I, I love it. And as I I've already shared with you, Elizabeth, I have your copy of your book again. Thank you for sending that. It's been a delight so far delving into it. Uh, but what I love so far uh, the most right now is that you claim to be a self-described change nerd. Could you talk a bit about that, please? <laughs> Sure. Well, you can either embrace it or you can hate it, but it's this normal part of life, right? 
And I am a nerd. And I think as I've learned from my background, I've had a diversity of experiences, which for me, I've loved. And what I've learned is that I, I do sometimes tend to shake things up. And, and I, I usually I can get bored. So for a long, I'd go to a job, I'd learn it, I'd feel like I've gotten it. And then I'd after a couple of years, I'd leave or the job would leave me right one of those things. So there I have experienced a lot of change. And lo and behold, most humans also have. And so it, it's the sense of embracing it. But for me, embracing it means the whole thing. It means embracing the messiness, embracing it authentically. It's not easy. And sometimes even when we do initiate the change ourselves, it's still a struggle. Absolutely. And what did that stem from? What made you become a change nerd, wanting, enjoying the messiness and being authentic in it and wanting to help other people? What did that come from? So I think, I've, you know, when I started off in HR, you know, was like, well, what should I do? Well, I like working with people. So I'll go into HR, which I think is a little naive. And the field, as you know, has, has changed and evolved so much. So I think it was this desire to continually to help people be their best. Also, in my own experiences, learning from a lot of tough experiences, whether that was childhood um, or in work, I sort of talk about an experience. I was at Lehman Brothers when that blew up. So I feel like I've had the benefit of being on the front line of some significant change. And then I also, for me, really enjoyed connecting with people authentically, as we talk about, and making it okay to talk about all of it. So oftentimes we talk about things in hindsight and it's great and oh my gosh, we learned so much, but it's okay to, to be in it and talk about the messiness. And so I like to say to my clients, you know, I, I'm oftentimes very comfortable talking about things many people only talk about when they're drunk, right? So for me, right, that's normal conversation. And so I think by being authentic, and showing up and showing up in my messiness and saying, hey, trying to figure it out, but I can talk about it. Also, I hope would invite other people to feel okay about doing the same thing. So I think it's just that deep desire to connect authentically with people is where that, where that comes from. I love that. And last thing there, it sounds very much so just being present and aware. Yes, yes. And as you know, right, you do this work I'm sure you do this because you love it, but but being present and aware um, is hard work. Yes, <laughs> especially <laughs> when you choose when you don't want to acknowledge, you know, anything. And it's easier to, I think, look at the past than be present or either look at the future, you know, just for what you want. But to get to the future, you have to take steps. Action needs to happen. Yeah, and I think what you said that was great is the fact is how do I how do I become aware of what's currently happening inside and outside myself? And the other thing that I think is very tricky in language is this concept of acceptance. So when I'm aware and present, truly, um, can I accept things as they are right now? And that's tricky because a lot of people, the ego goes, no, no, it's not good enough. It's not right. And I got to fix it. And I'm a victim and I, I'm causing trouble, whatever it is. Acceptance simply means, can I just see things as they are and be open to different ways of seeing something? 
because um, it's never just one thing. Absolutely. I love that. And we're going to we're going to segue back to the book here because this is my gym. I could do this all day. I could Great. <laughs> <laughs> but you prepared an excerpt, correct? Uh, would yes. you like to read that, please? I would love to. And I think it's right in line with with the jam that you're talking about. <laughs> so this comes from a chapter. It's chapter four called Start With Yourself. And so really all great leadership begins with the leader. And this chapter is all about what we talk about, accepting where you're at. And part of that is accepting emotion. That whilst you're leading a team through change, you're going through it yourself. So why don't we start with where you are? When it comes to change, all emotions are good emotions. I've met many leaders who think about their team's reactions, especially the negative ones, as a barometer of how good or bad their own change leadership skills are. They think, if people are resisting, I must be doing a bad job. In fact, it's likely that you and your team members will feel a variety of emotions, both positive and negative, over the course of the change, and these will be completely out of your control. The team may like a change where they are given the lead on an important project, but those feelings quickly turn into frustration when a key team member leaves, creating more work for everyone. What's more, wisdom can often be found in negative reactions if you treat them as something to be understood, not dismissed. Emotions are data, as valuable as any numerical statistic on a spreadsheet. You might have the collective will to make a change, but still feel frustration if you're lacking the resources to get it done. Surfacing that frustration can lead to a solution, as opposed to ignoring the feeling and then getting derailed at a future point. While there are no bad emotional reactions, there can be bad behavior that results from an emotional reaction that's unexamined or ignored. Remember, your job as a change leader is not to control emotions and reactions to change. And that includes your own. Your job is to understand emotions and reactions to change. Bringing emotions out into the open prevents those feelings from exerting influence from the shadows. Once you understand your reactions and any emotion behind them, you can probably do something about it. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Elizabeth. That was one chill. Got chills over here. And two, so many amazing uh, just tidbits there. But my first, well, rather the one I really love, uh, your job as a change leader is not to control emotions or reactions or try to change them, but to understand them. That's simply powerful. Thank you. I know when you and I were first kicking off this conversation, a couple of things were coming to mind. And one of the things we talked about is emotion and resistance, resistance to change. So when I thought about writing this book, there were three things that stood out to me. One is, you know, that principles are you're already a change expert. The second is resistance is normal. And the third is celebrating create success. So part of this is going in from if emotions are normal, that means resistance is normal. And from that mindset, it's probably going to be easier for me to try to take some time to be present with that and understand it than it is if I look at resistance as ugh, a problem and irritating and all of that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And so as you mentioned already before, uh, as the pace and rate of change increases, 
leaders urgently need tools to develop their capabilities and skills to build this resilience right in themselves as well as their teams. And Ford provides a myriad of tools, uh, including, right, uh, but not, not least of all, how to leverage your strengths as the change experts you already are, five simplified neuroscience concepts that every change leader can use to their advantage. One of what I'm loving right now, I can't wait to get to in the book, turning resistance to change into an advantage. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. Do you want to pl- you want to practice a little bit of that now? Sure, please. I was going to say, I don't know how you want to tackle these. There are several of them, but we can go through a few of them. We can tackle them all. I've got all the time you need. But let's start with resistance. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question, which is, okay, remember a time, if you can, recall a time where there was a change where you resisted it. And just, you don't have to get into what that change was. It could be personally, professionally, it could be whatever it was. So do you have something in mind? I do, yes. Okay. So without getting into too much detail, you know, what do you think it was that was causing your resistance? Uh, I think the, the, the simplest and easy way, easiest way to identify this is ego. Um, and, and I used to think that I never operated an ego because my ego did not look like other people's ego. My ego is, even though, yeah, I probably should do this. I'm not going to do it, even though I know I should. So stubbornness, right. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not that great with adapting. At least I wasn't before, you know, it's like, well, no, we agree to this. Why wouldn't we say this, stay this course? You know, ah, so what I'm hearing there is actually three things. Yeah. One is potentially, wait a second, yeah, I like what I'm doing, or I like it this way. Yeah, I'm also hearing in that, uh, nobody asked me, <laughs> this change may have been foisted on me yeah. without my input, and yet it directly impacts me. Yes, did anything else come to mind about why you might have resisted? Oh, those are the, the biggest things uh, at the mm-hmm. forefront um, in a work capacity, just in a work capacity. Okay. Too. So, yeah. So imagine, right, I'm your, I'm a leader and I'm leading you. Mm-hmm. I have a choice right now. I can actually trust that given your perspective, where you sit, your reactions are perfectly normal. They make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And I could take some time to say, hey, Bianca, I really value you, you're a great employee, but here's what I'm seeing. My sense is you're not on board with this change, but please help me understand what's going on for you. Mm. That's very different than I'm like, oh my God, that Bianca, you know, she's always, I'm just always rolling my eyes because she's getting in my way. Yeah. If I approach it as, wow, you've got something to offer me whilst I might have to slow down a little bit. And whilst true, I might be a little frustrated because you're not like, yay, I'm on board with the change. Let's go. If I take the time to treat your resistance simply as concerns that have not yet been addressed yet, I'm much more likely to have us together move forward than stay stuck in frustration. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Well, that's that mindset shift, right? You literally just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, it sounds like a, a switching of the lens, if you will, changing that perspective lens. It is. And I think as again, this is perspective is everything. So when I say this, I don't want to be Pollyanna, 
So oftentimes what I'm doing in the book is accepting emotions. So I could be having that conversation with you and I could still be frustrated. But my mindset is, listen, I'm frustrated. I wish Bianca was 100% on board and off we go and everybody was on board. But if truth be told, you and everybody else on that team is on the front lines. When we talk about a change, leaders oftentimes come at it from a high level, which is fine. That's their job. A decision to change comes from they've looked at the data and different options, and then they make a decision and it rolls down. And in the rolling down, right, sometimes the idea of the change is great, but in action, it doesn't work so well. So why wouldn't you want to hear from people on the front lines to help us understand, hey, here's what we're trying to do. What do you see are the things that are going to support this or get in the way? And, and how do you get the, get the folks involved in a conversation? So yes, it takes time. Yes, you might wish you could go faster. But oftentimes it's slowing down a bit, engaging folks so that you actually can move faster. Absolutely. I love that. And a, a couple of things there. One, this goes back to what you mentioned earlier about your job as a, a change leader, not to control emotions or reactions, right, to change, but to actually understand them. And I'd argue that this is the first time, I, I think, in society we're truly at a place for that. And of course, we have, you know, COVID-19 for that major shift and change as well, as well, excuse me, which has completely disrupted everything, our lives the past yeah. three years. So we're in an entirely new space. We're in an yeah. for everything. So you're, yes. you're more than on time than you think. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yes, I hope so. Well, I think, you know, there's been so many um, changes for people, especially in these last couple of years. But I think many of this stuff was already in the works. It just, to your point, got accelerated, right? The pace really has picked up. When I talk to leaders, and let's just face it, so great change leadership is just great leadership. Right. So I don't know if I'm bringing a lot of tremendously new stuff here. Right. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm trying to package it and bring it in a way that is authentic and will help people feel that they can bring their whole selves to any situation, particularly change that as a leader, it's okay for you to show emotion or lead through a change, even if you're not 100% on board. And I think your point about what's happened in these last couple of years, what I've noticed, I'd be really curious about your perspective on this as you talk to leaders, is that leaders have become or needed to become more empathic about what's happening in people's lives. Have you, have you just found that too? Absolutely. Um, I host this podcast as well as our diversity and inclusion podcast, A Seat at the mm -hmm. Table. Uh, in our faces of HR, where we profile HR leaders and organizations. And ev mostly everyone is talking about the power of, you know, being vulnerable, of emphatic mm -hmm. relationships and soft skills and emotional yeah. agility, which again, to your point, as you've already said, already in the makings prior to COVID, but definitely it has been accelerated since. And I, and I think it's absolutely necessary because we are all human. You know, yeah. Well, which goes back to that uh, sifting of that lens perspective. You were changing yeah. the lens of our perspectives because if if I, for me, if I've learned anything from the pandemic, whatever I thought was working, that that was not working. 
you know, it, it, things must change, but that's just me. Oh, no, I think you're right. Most people I talk to and clients and executive coaching clients, everybody had a real close up look for what what has been created in their life. Right. And to be able to say, am I pleased? Do I like this or do I want to make some change? And my perspective on that is going to either help me or hinder me. So I'll go again. Let me be very clear. You as well. I, I I teach this stuff. I work with it. But as I said, this is all healer, heal myself, right? I can say, oh, great, change. But some days I'm like, really? Really? Do I, right? But again, when I remember, it's my perspective. So yes, I'm upset. I wish this wasn't going down this way. Or I wish it was different. And okay, I, I'm going to feel what I feel. And, and I'm going to make sure, one, I don't spiral down further, because that negative talk is not helpful. Yes. And how do I, again, be authentic to say, look, I'm not 100% on board. So for instance, I was doing a session with a group of leaders and it was very hard for a couple of these leaders and they were actually, it was a global organization. And there was this fear that, no, I cannot show up and tell my people that I have concerns about this change because that means that I'm not, sort of showing up as one voice. And we really talked about, well, what, what's the downside of that? Like if you were authentic, what would you be concerned about? And that was a very interesting conversation. Like they thought, well, if I'm, if I'm doing that, that means I'm not really towing the company line, I'm not being a good leader, or I, somehow I'm gonna infuse, even if somebody's on, on board, if I share my concerns, I'm gonna turn them around and they're not gonna be on board anymore. And it's trying to say, look, you don't have to be superhuman. When you show up authentically, you can say, look, I've got these concerns and these frustrations, but here's what I know. We figured this out in the past. We don't have all the answers yet, but chances are we will. So we can go forward into the unknown, knowing that we'll probably figure it out. And it's okay if we have good days and bad days with it. I think most people take a collective... <sighs> you know, deep breath and be like, okay, I don't have to be some superhuman person as a leader. This episode is brought to you by Namely. Running HR for a mid-sized business means you need software that can keep up with all you do. So you can focus on strategy, culture, and keeping your employees happy. You need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that makes life easier for your employees, your boss, and you. Namely's HR platform covers your essential HR compliance needs in one place. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely's all-in-one integrated platform is designed to be used by everyone every day. With a mobile app and elegant UI, Namely lets employees request PTO, appreciate peers, review their pay stubs, and even answer their own HR questions. Namely offers it all. From onboarding and payroll to time tracking, benefits, employee engagement, and so much more, you'll finally have the time and data you need to drive the initiatives your company really cares about. I want you to simplify your HR processes with Namely, so I've arranged a special offer for my listeners. Right now, get a free month of unlimited access to Namely's all-in-one HR platform, but only when you go to Namely.com slash HR pages. Remember, for your free month, go to namely.com slash HR pages. And now back to our episode. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is a great um, segue to another tool that you provided within the book, which is using compassion, communication and clarity to create successful change. Sounds sounds hard, but it's kind of minute, too. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, again, this is where I say I, I think if you want, it's very intuitive. Right. And this isn't something that's a one and done. These are interwoven principles and these principles have come out of the neuroscience. And we could touch on that in a little bit, a couple of concepts. But what I do is I give people a framework to say the actions that are going to be coming up in the playbook, which is chapter five, six and seven, are going to be grounded in these. You will go through a change and there will be moments where you're dialing one up and you know not using the other one as much, but they're all needed. And you do this with people. You don't do it to them. Share the model. Share the intent. Ask people to help you tell tell you what what they need from you right so yeah so i can go over them quickly if you want unless you want to focus in on one. Oh no i would say let's do this we can is is it the five simplified neuroscience concepts so the yes and then we can get back into three priorities so the right so there the neuroscience first of all i start off with well what is this thing called change leadership and to be perfectly honest i don't care and most of my clients didn't either if you want to call it change management have at it I call it change leadership because I just think about the people side of it. And that's what this book is focused on. It's for, it's for the people side, leading people through change. Then we get into this, the neuroscience. And again, this is where I get a little, I can geek out on it, but I have a couple of qualifiers, which I've tried to take five concepts, really simplify them and then give the, so what? So why should you care as a change leader? It's brief, but I think if people get the point. Um, the other piece with that is that the caveat is we're learning so much. It's a field that is constantly changing. So I'm trying to simplify it, knowing that, look, this could totally change at a future date. But here's what we know now. Um, do you want to talk about any of those concepts in particular? Or do you want me to? What would... Yes. So, yes. Yeah, so the neuroscience concepts are uh, like what people do in the face of uncertainty you know, optimism, something called switch cost. Another one is the empathic network versus the um, analytic network. And that's actually super interesting, which I, if we're going to get into anyone, we probably can get into that one. And the last one is negativity bias, right? And so I take these concepts that overlap and explain. So here is what our brains on change do. And here's how that may lead to certain behaviors. So when I talk about the, this principle, like resistance is normal. It's like when you understand this, you just see that people are just being good humans with healthy brains, right? So when you look at it again like that, it's not like, oh, those pesky humans. It's just like, oh, great. I've got people with working brains. So why don't I try to go with it as opposed to, you know, get frustrated. So. Uh, we can focus on one of those and then we can get into the three priorities which come out of it. Okay. One of my favorite ones is the analytic versus the empathetic networks in our brain. And there is a huge like, oh, you know, when I read this and this comes from different research, but I read it um, through a work called Helping People Change by Dr. Richard Boyatzis and a couple of his other uh, fellow authors there. 
So in, in brief, we have these you know, different circuits and groupings in our brains that work together. So we have the analytic network, which is really designed, like the name says, analyzing data, sticking to timetables, figuring things out, problem solving. Great. All needed. Very important. Then we have this other part called the empathetic network. And the empathetic network is geared towards really tuning in to human cues that we get, tone, emotions, paying attention there. It's also the ability to stand back and see trends. So this is a place where innovation comes from, thinking differently. The kicker is that when one of these is activated, it suppresses the other one. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that to me was like, oh my gosh, well, that explains a lot. So first of all, so many work cultures reward people for the analytic types of functioning. Spreadsheets and data and you analyze this right and finance and costs. And again, very important. But so many companies say, well, we want innovation and we want people leaders who, who are empathetic. But part of it is creating opportunities for the leaders to engage that part of their brain. So a lot of the best leaders recognize this. You might have a default preference, depending on who you are. I know my default preference is the empathetic network, um, but it's realizing given what you're doing in relationship to a change, what is called on? Like what, what should be happening now? So when it comes to change, you need both. But you're going to need to to tune into hold you know put your people hat on and your empathetic network and engage with people in order to move them through it. And this explained a lot of things for me in particular when you have project managers who are in charge of change, they can't wear the people hat at the same time. They're trying to keep things to time frames and move things forward. And so you have to have somebody who's you know, keeping view on the emotional side, or at least say, okay, we're, we're changing gears now. Let's move into how do you think people are feeling about this change? So those are the types of things that activate that. Wow. I love that. And, and I've, of course, had never heard of this before. So I didn't either. You introducing- <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this is amazing. And it, it's, it sounds also to just like someone having a balance on those things, the analytical and the emphatic side of things yes, as well. exactly. It's knowing when I have a preference, nothing's wrong with either, but in a certain situation, it goes back to your being present and the importance of being present, what's needed from me. And this is sometimes it's so hard for leaders. They're overwhelmed, they're busy, right? They're, they're, they're judged on things that aren't necessarily, even though I think that you, you and I probably agree that's getting better. But if you're geared towards that, it's very hard to pause and say, okay, let me switch gears. But again, when you know this exists, then you have a choice. Because now you can't go back. Exactly. And you can say, "Hmm, let me try something new here. I keep yelling or I keep saying things faster and louder, but I'm not getting the results from my team. Hmm, let me switch it up. And then to get to your earlier point about what comes out of this is the three priorities. Right. So we have compassion, communication, and clarity. And so all of these use both of those networks in our brains. Compassion absolutely is about empathy, but compassion is specifically those activities that both help you tune in to what's going on with you, 
your own emotions, your concerns. Also, it's just good self-care. But more than that, it's going to give you an early indicator of how your team might react. So if you can manage some of your own there, you're not going to get blindsided by somebody else's. So it's, it's, it's thinking about that and then specifically taking time and prepping. And if I was Bianca in this change, how might I react? What do I know about Bianca? So it's using that knowledge and wisdom that you already have to prepare for possible tough reactions and questions. So that's compassion. Communication is, is absolutely about giving information, but more so it's about creating opportunities for two-way conversation. So when we have a lot of what the book is, is giving leaders, hey, you find yourself in this tough situation, or here's a tough question you might get. Here's a conversation guide with words, you can edit them, but with words about what you might do or how you might say that, that could help you have a healthier conversation. And a lot of it is about knowing when to ask versus tell. And and so oftentimes I might make an assumption that a team member is resisting and I might make an assumption about why, oh, they always do that, they don't like it. But if I take time to say, hey, Elizabeth, I'm noticing that you're behaving in this way or you're taking these actions, but that's the old way of working, not the new way. And you come to find out that, oh, my gosh, well, I am on board with the change. I, I, I thought I was doing the right thing. Now you can be like, oh, okay. If I'm going to work with you, clearly I need to do a better job of helping you understand what's different for you now in the new state that we're trying to get to versus the old, which brings us to clarity, which is the third priority. So as a change leader, you be giving clarity is giving the information you have when you have it, but more particularly helping each person understand what the change means for them. So in other words, what do they need to do differently in light of this new change that's different than how we were doing it before? And that's often something you want to do with somebody. So especially if you've got skilled folks, you don't want to delve into too much of telling you exactly how to do that, right? It's micromanaging. You simply want to say, hey, here's the destination we want to get to. Um, given what you're currently doing, and you can do this as a team activity, what does that mean that we do differently in how we operate and how we spend our time? So those are the three priorities. But again, as I'm seeing you, watching you, listening to you, you're nodding. This is intuitive. Yeah. Right? Which is why I like to go and say, look, you're a change expert. You've been on the good side and probably the not so skillful side of change leadership. You already know what works. So use that knowledge. Use that knowledge. I love that. And that ties into one of the other tools you mentioned too, how to leverage your strengths as the change experts you already exactly. are. Exactly. A lot of us, we don't even see ourselves as no, such. That's exactly right. This movement of strengths has really come on in the last, I'd say, 10 years. I was lucky enough when I was working with ADP, we acquired the Marcus Buckingham Company. And truth be told, there was a little part of me when I'd hear strengths, I would kind of do an internal eye roll, like, oh, for God's sakes, really? Like, is it, is it real or is this just fluff? You know? So I was honest with myself. However, when I really learned about the, how Marcus was defining strengths, which really is activities that bring you energy, 
and that's different from a skill. A skill is you could be good at it. Like I'm good at PowerPoint, but does it get me all excited? No, nothing against PowerPoint and I can do it. So it's figuring out in the workplace, how do people more often than not get to spend time in their strengths? It was miraculous when I was really doing this with my team and the energy that that created. So really learning from doing and how positive it was. The other thing that was critical here is when I was delving into the neuroscience, one of the other concepts we talked about is optimism. And um, what is wonderful is when people feel that they're in their strengths, they feel like there's a positive future vision. Even if I don't exactly know and even if I'm scared, if I have a positive vision and I know I can still do some of the things that I love, in that future state, even if it's different, I'm more likely to go with the change because I have some degree of confidence in, in that I can go forward and I'll have some degree of success. So optimism really becomes the fuel creating that that moves it forward as, as well as the output Right. So even if things go wrong, if we all say, hey, let's remember a time when we went through a change in the past that we were concerned about. What did we do that worked? What did you do that helped you? How do you remember that? And we can take that forward together. And it's also, by the way, okay for you to tell me as your leader, you know, I've got this concern or I'm seeing this obstacle. So how as a leader do I then is part of that. And you can see how all these concepts overlap. I, I'm grateful for somebody to bring their concern to me. I don't look at it as they're a change resistor. Someone picks up this book, an HR leader, or an organization leader, a change leader, picks up forward. What's one thing you hope they take away from this book? Uh, that resistance is normal. Right. I mean, there's there are, there are a bunch of things, but I'd say especially because this this model, this work was designed with business leaders. I am so grateful for the generosity of the wonderful leaders that I worked with to actually get to this point. So th this is very that's why I like to say it's really practical. So if I'm going into a change as a leader and I view resistance as normal, not only that. I view it as an opportunity, which don't get me wrong. I can still be like, oh, frustrated. Oh, my gosh. Yes, there's resistance or, you know, I don't feel great about it. But still, I'm like, okay, there's a real opportunity here if I can harness it. So let me, you know, make sure I've had a good meal or a nice cup of coffee. I don't do it when I'm completely stressed. But how do I engage it? So if I engage it with curiosity as an opportunity, everything changes. So I don't have to convince you. You get to be skeptical. You get to feel like I'm not on board with this change. Cool. Awesome. Great. The fact that I even know that, I'm grateful for that. So then it's the opportunity to say, okay, I don't have to convince you. My job only is to, to understand what's going on for you. And look, sometimes it's, it's the person can say, they can say, I know this change makes sense. I get it. But guess what? I really liked, I really liked being the go-to person for this. I felt like an expert and now I'm a beginner again, right? So oftentimes if we take a pause to understand that person is quote unquote resisting for really 
reasons that make a ton of sense from their perspective. So once you understand that the person feels heard, you're just curious. You're not fixing, solving, convincing. You can't make people change. All you can do is say, hey, I'm going to do the best I can to be compassionate, to create this opportunity for us to talk, to be clear, including clear about what we don't know so that nobody freaks out like, oh, my gosh, we're missing something. Yeah, we are missing something. Quite frankly, we're missing a lot. But that's okay. But that's why I need all of you and your amazing brains and your amazing strengths to go through this. So you can see if a leader just simply shifts that one thing, that can change everything for them and the team. Absolutely. I love that. And that takes me back to uh, something uh, that you read earlier in your excerpt, um, at least part of it, right? Wisdom can always be found in negative reactions. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So in that particular one, there's something about tolerating, you know, tolerating the discomfort as a leader when you encounter this. But when you shift, it's like, of course, of course, resistance is difficult. Like there's nothing wrong with you being frustrated by it or you wish it wasn't there. That's cool. No problem. Great. Normal. Okay. Now, how do you just tweak that slightly, which is wisdom 2.0, and it becomes... I know I'm successful, not when I have all the answers to people's questions. I know I'm successful when I can surface a ton of questions that I can't answer yet. And that frees people up, right? It's like, oh, it'll come eventually. So why don't we just make it okay that we're still figuring it out? And hence, hence life. <laughs> That's it. Wow. My final question for you, Elizabeth, and I've completely and thoroughly enjoyed your time. What does your next chapter look like? Oh, gosh, I'm so glad you asked that. It is probably taking this work um, more holistically. So when you talked about the things that get you jazzed and what you're excited about, free will, what does that mean? So I did a whole reboot in my life about two years ago, because I got very clear that the principles or practices as a human, as a, you know, a being, a spiritual being, whatever you want to call that, I wasn't really acting from that perspective. And so I really took a hard look at, well, well, if I really, even though I'm skeptical, right, if I really believed this was true, how would I act? So it's taking a lot of, I think, these principles and continuing for more of a holistic human workplace, outside workplace. How do we change the way we change? And it's probably going to be something that that works, that discovers that. So or continues to deepen in that. And listen, there are a number of brilliant voices and you talked about it. Vulnerability, authenticity, it's a theme. And, and so it would probably add to this wonderful group of, of, you know, people who have already gone there before me, which I have a ton of gratitude for. Um, and, and again, it hopefully could offer something for, for somebody who's on their journey, complimentary. So that's what I'm thinking. I love that. I love it. Of course, I'm here for it. Anything I can help or read, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> I would love that. This has been great. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add or talk about before we wrap up here? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, the, the book is available right now for pre-order. So if people are interested, you could do that. It's on IndieBound, uh, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. And I just am very excited for me to get the work out. The, the bottom line is if I could help anybody, people lead in a way that helps them and others be their best, really to create more joy, uh, less anxiety, that is a, that is a wonderful, wonderful gift that I'm being given. Absolutely. I love that. And I think we all need more joy and less anxiety. So I'm here with you, Elizabeth. Uh, again, thank you for your time. Uh, and thank you for this book. Oh, Bianca, thank you so much. I've loved this truly. It's been an honor. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter at HR Pages. And we're also now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time when we turn the page.